Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and fascinating women who talk about their projects as well as their own lives as evolving women. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. And if you like the podcast, you'll love my newly updated companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. Learn more at NicoleChristina.com. Well, I have my coffee in my hand and my little Jack Russell Sparky right beside me. So let's begin. Jane Duncan Rogers is an award-winning life and death coach who helps people prepare well for the best ending of life possible. Uh, She's been a psychotherapist, and she's been in the personal growth field for more than 25 years, and she's also the author of Gifted by Grief, a true story of cancer, loss, and rebirth. And before I go, practical questions to ask and answer before you die. She founded Before I Go Solutions in 2016, and she describes herself as having a quirky take on life and death. And Jane also sings and performs in a well-known women's a cappella group, Too Many Kooks. Welcome to the show, Jane. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. It's, it's so nice to have you on. And we're talking about such important, uh, such an important subject today. And it's a subject people really don't want to talk about. No, you're right. They don't. But here we are. We're going to talk about it. We're going to be brave. <laughs> okay. How do you... How do you deal with the fact that people are squeamish talking about death? How do you get them to to have a conversation? Well, here's the thing. Um, I, when, you know when people ask you what you do, and it can either be a conversation stopper or a conversation starter? <laughs> well, <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> what I found when people ask what I do, and I tell them that I help people make good end-of-life plans, there's a kind of pause in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And it sounds as though it's stopped dead. And it feels like that as well. But I've learned to keep my mouth shut because in that space, often somebody says, uh, tells a story. And then, and that gives permission for other people to tell a story as well. And it's like, I've dared to mention this subject, which has become in our times not mentionable in many places and in many families. And yet when you do give permission to people to talk about it in whatever way they want to, actually quite often they want to. And that's been a revelation for me as well as them, I think, because that's where it starts with a tiny little story. Everybody has a story around dying or death or grief because it happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. I love on your TED Talk, you say statistically it's 100% certainty that we're all going to die. Yes. This may be a tough question, and I'm sure, you know, philosophers have asked this question for many years, but why is it so important for us to imagine our own death? Well, you know, in times gone by, I don't think we probably needed to do that because 
death was with us all the time. You know, it was a normal part of life and it is a normal part of life. But in Western society in particularly today, particular today, it's kind of been medicalized and taken over by the, um, the medical profession, the funeral profession. And mm. I'm not blaming them or anything like that. But one of the uh, one of the effects of that is that we are ignorant. We the ordinary person in the street is ignorant. We don't, we're not familiar with dead bodies anymore. Um, and I think because you can't be alive without contemplating death because they go together hand in hand. That's my take on it anyway. And it's when we're afraid of contemplating something that actually is definitely going to happen, that it actually curtails how best we can live life now and particularly when you're getting older so maybe for people you know 45 50 plus maybe you're dealing with your parents coming towards the end of their life or maybe you've known somebody who has died or had a brush with death then then you start to think about the big questions like oh my goodness it might happen to me well you might you might think that and then you might not think about it again for a couple of years but it will be there and as a psychotherapist, before your husband became ill, what was it like for you to sit with people who were dealing with uh, either their own illness or deaths of partners or family? How, how, what was your comfort level? Well, you know, I've always been comfortable with this subject. Um, I have never been afraid in the way that some people are. So for me the idea of uh, what I I refer to it as this body, you know, I could say me dying, but I, I distance myself from that by saying this body, because I be I have a belief that who I am continues living. And um, that's a whole other subject, by the way, we could do a whole other program on that. But anyway, ah, <laughs> uh, it does help when you can have that kind of belief, it does help to think about just the body dying. So I'm there. I just think it's going to be another adventure. You know, that's my take on it. Okay, I don't. I don't really know what's going to happen, but I believe that if nothing happens, then I won't know about it, and it doesn't matter. And if something does happen, it's very practical. And if something does happen, my belief is is that it's going to be great. And of course, there's lots of documentation um, um, stories about uh, from people who have had near death experiences that will lend itself to that. But you know, it doesn't matter whether I believe that or not. What matters is that it enables me to live life more fully now and to help other people mm -hmm. to um, be willing to step forward and be with this. So when I was working with clients um, who had a, a life threatening illness, it wasn't difficult for me to simply be with them because that that is what is wanted in life people to simply be with mm -hmm. you so that you can be who you are in that moment and not be criticized and not be blamed and simply be accepted for whatever is going on and that's and the fancy name now everyone's using of course is being mindful yes that's right but that and and mm -hmm. in a way that's convenient because it sums that all up um, because it is about being here now in the present, bringing your full attention to bear right now, not allowing your thoughts to go off into the future or into the past or whatever. And that is actually, I think, what we crave a lot.
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know I saw that you are someone who meditates. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell, can you talk a little bit uh, about how meditation might be part of this orientation you have towards okay. life and death? How does that fit in? Well, you know, before you think that I'm absolutely brilliant at doing this, um, I have to say that <laughs> I've spent at least 25 years thinking it would be a good idea to meditate and doing it a bit and then not doing it very much. <laughs> and it's really only in the last few years that I've uh, come to a place where I am choosing to do it because I, I, I enjoy it in itself. I enjoy actually sitting still and being in a place of meditation. And I enjoy the benefits of that as well, which are great for me are greatly to do with being feeling relaxed. Um, so what was the question again? Sorry, got on. Off, off. Uh, does it have is there something a uh, connection between your belief in meditation, you mm. doing the action of meditation and your orientation towards life and death? Do those is yeah. there a connection there? Good question. Yes, I think there is. Because when I in meditation, help my mind to become less busy, then it's much easier to, if you like, drop down behind the mind and discover the sense of peace that is there all the time. And that's the peace that I'm referring to, that is who I consider I am. And when you're able to connect with that, it's much easier to think about the fact that one day your body will die. Mm -hmm. Much easier than if you're fully identified with your body and you think that when your body dies, that's it, that's the end. I mean, not that that's a wrong thing to think, but it's just that it makes it easier. So would you call that when you're talking about dropping down, mm -hmm. is that, would we call that your essence? Yeah, you could call it essence. You could call it presence. You could call it um, true nature. You could call it love. You could call it Christ consciousness, any of these mm -hmm. things, but it is deeper. And I was, I use the words behind and below the conversation that is going on in my head. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in that state, that's the opposite of anxiety. So yeah. you can be in that state. And it sounds like on one level, just be more accepting of whatever's going to happen. Yeah. And in another level, being aware of, oh, there's a soul here, there's an essence. Yeah. And this doesn't die like the body. Exactly, exactly. You used an interesting expression that I hadn't heard before, like, uh, and, and, and tell me if I'm saying this right, but like that your body is like a bag. Yeah. <laughs> Can you well, talk about that? Yeah, sure. I, I had never thought of it before either. But when I saw my, I was with my husband when he died, he was in hospital. This was six years ago now. And um, it was just the strangest experience. And if people, people who have been with somebody who have died or have seen someone very soon after they have died will recognize this because the person who they were is no longer there. And that's what happened very quickly for me. I saw that my husband was just lying there on the bed. Well, actually it looked like him, um, but it wasn't him at all. It looked exactly like him, but who he was was no longer in that body. And that's why I referred to it as a bag. And 
later, about three weeks after he had died, I remember waking up one morning and thinking, um, if that was a fill, if that was an empty bag lying on the on the bed, if that was an empty bag lying on the bed, then what is this, this body here? That's a filled bag. So what's it filled with? Mm-hmm. And that set me off on a, a long, um, an intense journey of discovering, which is much of what my first book, Gifted by Grief, is about. Um, so yeah, quite uh, quite a journey, mm-hmm. quite. And, uh, and why I ended up calling it Gifted by Grief, actually, because I discovered such a lot that I hadn't expected. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel Philip's presence? Sometimes. Um, because of the work that I'm doing now, um, I would never have been doing this work if he had not either both lived and died. So I, um, you know, he was my business partner as well. So I still sometimes have conversations, particularly about business with him because he had a good business head on him. Um, and I I do still feel him, not so much now. Um, I have met, there's a new man in my life now, which I'm absolutely delighted about. And I think mm-hmm. Philip would be delighted for me as well. Mm-hmm. So he takes up more of that space now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I see. That's interesting. So there's sort of this evolution. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, who I, who I was then would not have been attracted to the man I am with now. And um, that's absolutely perfect because I was changed a lot by Philip's death. Um and it ends up me being able to be grateful for both the 20 years that I had with him and where I am now, actually. Very grateful. And I, and I you know, I get to talk about him quite a lot. It's quite nice. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Are there particular places that you encourage people to start this difficult conversation uh, what are the what are the baby steps? What are the first steps? Because there's so many questions, you know, like, mm. do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be this? Who do you want to be there? You know, but are there just little sort of starter questions that you find are a bit more palatable for people? Yeah. Yes, there are, and it comes and it, it comes out of any of the context. So, for example, if somebody in your family has died, it's completely normal to say when so and so died, she had this type of funeral. That made me think about what I would like. What would you like? That sort of thing. Or you can do the same thing with a famous person who has died, or somebody in the locality that was you know well known in your town or whatever. It means that it's it's not it doesn't come out of the blue. It's just a kind of ordinary thing because suddenly we're faced with um, uh, the the fact of death. Like the other day, I was drive. I live in a little town in Scotland, and I was just driving through the main street, and there was a whole lot of people coming out of the local funeral home in their um, white shirts and black trousers and sober um, outfits. And that sparked up a discussion between me and my friend in the front seat about what kind of clothes we would want our um, people to wear at our funeral. And indeed, if we wanted a funeral at all. So it's it's really using what is already out there. And for example, with children or grandchildren, you can use the fact that there is a uh, there, there is a dead um a dead bird in the bush or 
something like that, or a, a plant that has died that you maybe planted, but hasn't done very well and has died. This is all normal stuff in life, and we can bring it into uh, to the human being life as well if we want to. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like a jumping off point. Exactly. Instead of just saying, well, let's talk about death this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. That- that, I mean, that is an option as well. And I don't know if your listeners will have heard of the Death Cafe movement, deathcafe.com. I was going to yeah. ask you about that. Yes. <laughs> have you been to any? I have not. You, you want to tell us a little sure. bit about that? It was a movement set up by an Englishman, John Underwood, a few years ago. And basically a death cafe is where you go and gather with people to drink tea or coffee and have cake and talk about death and that's all it is there's no uh, advertising um, allowed there's no um, prescription about what it gets talked about there's no particular leader although somebody will have set it up they're all over the world now in various different places and if so if you want to talk about this subject at any level with other people who are willing to talk about it there's somewhere to go to do that yeah that's as simple as that have you seen uh, the group, and I think they're in Britain, and it's it's a group of older folks, and they're painting their own coffins and decorating yeah. their own... What's that one called? Um, Do you remember? It's... Um, they, ha- they have a little musical yes, thing. I do yeah. know. I've forgotten their name, but I do uh-huh. know who you mean. Um, yeah, that's another thing that you can do. It's like these days, you can really... It doesn't, the funerals don't have to be the way that we have been perhaps brought up to think they have to be with a funeral director and dark clothes and lots of a, a hearse and lots of black cars following and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't have to be like that. It never had to be like that, actually. But anyway, it certainly doesn't now. Um, you can have it be the way you want it to be. Um, but if it's yours, you have to think about it now while you're alive. Mm. Otherwise, it will just happen and it will probably be the traditional way because that's what people think of when they're catapulted into grief. Even if they've been expecting a death, it still will feel like a shock. It just does. Um, because there are quite a lot of things to be taken care of in a fairly short period of time after somebody dies and there's decisions to be made. And that's why I am encourage people when they're alive and before they really need this information to think about the sort of thing that they might want for their funeral or all sorts of other aspects and to communicate that and have that written down so that it makes it easier for those left behind afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's hard to describe this to people, but as I've done this, because, you know, doing the podcast, I've had other guests talk about this and even the legalities of it. And there's something I found to be... Um, it's hard to put into words, but after you've made a plan and said, I like this music, I want chocolates for everyone. I want, you know, these in the woods with the dogs, whatever. There's a liberating feeling to that. Do you find that? Yeah, definitely. No, that's a very good word for it, liberating, because yes, there's a sense of relief there's a sense mm-hmm. of uh, it brings comfort actually to you right now in your life, but also to your family, knowing that they know and they know that you know 
So it's all out in the open and everybody knows. And it's like that means that you are liberated. You're liberated to live your life even more fully right now while you are alive. It it really works like that, but you don't actually discover that until right. you do it. <laughs> that is true. Has your um, sort of a, a idea of what you'd like at the end of life has that evolved over years? Has has it changed, or has it remained fairly stable? Well, funnily enough, it's in the middle of changing right now because I always thought I wanted to be cremated, and and I have written that down, but just. Uh, literally like a couple of weeks ago I started contemplating the idea of a green burial a green burial is one where the body does not get embalmed and it is put in a um, it, it, it has to be in a coffin or on a shroud of a biodegradable material and mm. it is put in a green burial site where you are you you might mark the spot with a tree but it wouldn't be with a headstone or anything like that and the intention is to keep that area as natural as possible and um, so right now i right now if i had died yesterday and that's always a good question to ask yourself by the way if i had died yesterday <laughs> if you're trying to make a decision about what you want if I had died yesterday i would be my body would be being cremated because that's what's written down that's what i have communicated but right now I'm in the middle of maybe changing my mind but that mind is not going to be changed unless I communicate it or write it down preferably mm -hmm. write it down Mm -hmm. And are there green burial sites in Scotland just yes. officially? Oh, there are. Yes, and there is are. that happening more and yeah. more around the world? Yes, it is. It is happening more and more. So if in your locality you're not sure, you just Google for that. It will be called a green burial site or it might be called a, um, a woodland burial site. Um, mm. They're usually in very beautiful places and designated as such. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've seen um, people have talked about how the whole embalming and then we're in the concrete and mm. all this stuff is just an environmental nightmare. Mm. Yes. And, you know, creation's not that great either. But there's and there are some other options becoming to the fore, which I think will probably get more popular in the next 20 years or so. But right now, burial or cremation is what we have got mostly, unless you're willing to spend a lot of money or you want to donate your body to medical science. That's another aspect. Mm -hmm. um, but again, those things need to be planned in advance. And if you mm -hmm. can't talk about this stuff, you can't plan it in advance. So you're stuck, really. <laughs> you just you give up that control and hope that someone makes a decision that you would like but you never know that's right however i want to flag up something that people often say which is um well i'm going to be dead so it doesn't matter i don't care what you do mm. and that's true you are going to be dead and you won't care it is absolutely true let's acknowledge that however it's much easier for your family and friends to make decisions if you have given them some guidelines the amount of arguments or um, stressful conversations that happen as a result, even of families that get on well, mm -hmm. when I think it's because we underestimate how discombobulating grief is. Mm. People are not thinking straight. It's hard to make decisions anyway. Um, and then you're required to make these decisions. And of course, 
if if you're in a family where there are strong opinions and on opposite sides, then that can cause a lot of problems. And it doesn't have to be just about money or wills. It can be just about where to hold um, uh, the gathering after a funeral or mm. what kind of funeral to have or what kind of coffin to have. But if you've given thought to that and written that down as part of your plan, then that mm. can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, it, you know, as a therapist, I'm I'm sure you've seen this um, before, and I have too. In the family, when everybody wants what's best, but they have different ideas of how to get there. Yeah, exactly. And certain cultures are more open to talking about different things. And I don't know what the culture of Scotland is like. Do you find that the Scots are typically... Uh, open or or is it a little more difficult uh no they're not typically open about this subject <laughs> um however having said that there is much more awareness now in the media much more awareness and i'm sure it is because of the baby boom generation are coming of an age where they are having to consider end of life matters whether it's for their parents or for themselves it's in their face and you know, typically that is a generation that wants to be in control of things. And I think that is one of the reasons why there is uh, new initiatives starting up. There's a lot more stuff on the media. Um, there's more programs being made about options. There's questions about funeral costs, which are, you know, escalating. And mm -hmm. so people are really questioning, you know, well, well, what do we have to have and what do we need and what do we want? Which I think is really healthy. Mm -hmm. And and there certainly have been celebrity deaths, yeah. um, you know, recently that I think might help people look at the reality like, wow, um, this is going to happen. Yeah. It may not happen by suicide, but it's going to happen. And um, the the avoidance isn't working as well as it <laughs> we thought it was maybe. no it is not it, 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 that's a really good statement avoidance definitely is not working as well as it used to <laughs> <laughs> as we age do you want to talk a little bit about um your book and sure. where people can find it and 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 what it's all about Sure, this is the newest book, which is called Before I Go, The Essential Guide to Creating a Good End of Life Plan. And uh, it's just come out in the States and in the middle of August, it will be out in the UK and other countries um, and available, obviously, from all good bookshops and Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. And it basically guides people through the components, the six components of creating a good end of life plan. By now, even through this conversation, you'll have discovered that I am, I have both rather an esoteric side, a spiritual side, but I also have a very practical side as well. And, um, and that's what the book is like as well. So the first third of it probably is discussing the sorts of things that we're talking about here, but in much more depth. Um, for example, there's a whole chapter about who is a body, what is a body and who am I? Um, and then the rest of it is about the, the information that you need to have in an end of life plan, in, in a comprehensive end of life plan. So it's not just the will, the power of attorney, but it's thinking about your last days, how you actually want them to be, um, completing an advance 
decision or advanced directive, which is um, the document that states what kind of treatment, medical treatment, you don't want to have towards the end of your life. Mm-hmm. Very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also go into the household matters and um, the importance of doing death cleaning or decluttering uh, towards the end of your life, also known as death cleaning. Um mm-hmm. And household organization, your financial affairs, all that kind of stuff. People think mm-hmm. about financial affairs, but they don't think about things like, does anyone else in the in my house know how to operate the washing machine or the lawnmower or the burglar alarm or the heating controls? All of which, mm-hmm. for those left behind, can be actually quite devastating, mm-hmm. when, especially when it's sudden. Okay. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the funeral. Um, um, But there's also two other elements that are really important. And one of them is only for this day and age, which is our digital life. You know, we spend such a lot of time online or social media. If we don't take care of what we want to have happen about that after we have died, then we're going to carry on living digitally. Oh, my goodness. I had not... You yeah. know, it's funny. I just finished Catherine Mannix's book. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. With the uh, end of life and, and mind, I think. Yeah. It's, and um, it's a lot of stories, of course, with palliative care. But she talks about some of this. But I have not thought about the digital life no. living on. Yeah. And it does. Um, you know, what I do discuss- we do about that? Well, for example, on social media, now most social media accounts will have a way to to uh, for you to nominate somebody as the person who will take care of your account after you have died. But you have to set that up now. Otherwise, it's much more difficult to get the to to get your account managed because you might not want all your photographs, for example, to go down off Facebook, but you might. Um, it is quite challenging because once you've gone, if like this happened just the other week to uh, my mum, uh, about a year ago, one of my cousins died. And uh, I think it was two weeks ago, it was her birthday. It would have been her birthday. And my mum, who's on Facebook, got a notice saying, wish Pam happy birthday. Mm-hmm. And she was really upset about that. Mm-hmm. But nobody obviously had known what to do with um, my cousin's uh, um, Facebook account. So we really do have to think about these things. And then the final piece of a good end of life plan in the way that we teach it is your living legacy. And I call it a living legacy because this is how you want to be remembered and what it is that you're going to be leaving behind that um, can contribute to your the lives of your grandchildren or any other people that you want to leave good memories for you have to think about that now and especially in terms of photographs <laughs> because we take so many photographs these days they are going to be dumped i can tell you if you don't select a few that you want to be kept oh. and maybe even print out in the old-fashioned way or make an album that oh. we're so overwhelmed with information that it will all go and for some people, that doesn't matter. But if it matters to you, you need to take action now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is true or not, what your experience is, but, and maybe it's because we're all so overwhelmed, but this whole idea of planning ahead, I don't know if humans are really great at that in no, general. I know. 
I know. You know, anticipating what's going to happen down the road. It's more like, what am I doing this afternoon? You know? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, um, and I think I, ha I think I might even have written a little section in my book entitled, but um, nothing ever goes according to plan. So why have a plan? <laughs> and, uh -huh. and it's a very valid question. But the thing is, a plan in whatever way you use it, but in this way, we're talking about the end of life plan. What it does is it brings the mind a sense of peace and control now. Mm. Whether or not it happens exactly as you want it to, that we can't control that. We can, we can give some input into what might happen. So nobody knows how they're going to die or when it's going to happen. But we can influence that if we think about what the ideal situation would be. So, for example, if you have stated to your family or friends or you've written it down somewhere that your preference is to die at home, which is what most people want, mm -hmm. and the circumstances under which you would want to be kept at home, even if it meant that you were going to die earlier, then the likelihood is that that is what will happen, more so than if you hadn't written anything down at all. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it does require thinking about these kind of, you know, somewhat uncomfortable questions sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, you know, I like what you're saying. It's not only, oh, you should do this because, you know, it'll help your loved ones and it's a smart thing to do. But you're also saying, and it will bring you a sense of peace and control now. Yeah. That's that's motivating, yeah. I think, for people to hear, oh, I would like a little peace and control. Yeah. I, that feeling is, uh, it's not, um, I don't feel it as much as I'd like to feel it. And if there's a way I can experience that, it's worth maybe going through some of the discomfort. Yes, exactly. And I think also, What's, what has been shown on the courses that I run, because because what I've discovered is that it's much easier to do this kind of work in the in the company of other people doing the same things, and which is why we run courses. Um, what I've discovered is that although people think they're going to be feeling discomfort and it's going to be difficult, actually what happens is that it's easier than they think, and the most commonly used word to describe the courses is enjoyable. Now, mm -hmm. who would have thought that? Mm -hmm. But actually it's true. It becomes a process that can actually be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I can see some humor coming into it, even if yeah. it's gallows humor. Exactly. Oh yeah, there's definitely a place for gallows humor. <laughs> a very important, very important. Ah. <laughs> um, are your courses only in Scotland or do you have them no. um, other locations as well? Well, they're mostly online, so people can come from oh. anywhere. And um, we have, uh, I mean, the thing to do is to check out the website before I go solutions.com if people mm -hmm. want to know more. I, yes. We're also, we've just started running a training course to train others in the before I go method so that this work gets spread out uh, more mm. throughout the world. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's all on the website, basically. Excellent. And what's, you just finished a book. What is next for you? Now, that's a good question. I was just thinking that the other day and I thought there might be room for a book about 
people's pets about how oh. to how to deal with the end of life of their pets because pets are part of the family mm-hmm. we don't really think of it like that as a general but if you've got a pet you, you no matter what kind of pet it is it is part of your family mm-hmm. so that's one option um I have to discuss that with my editors, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, otherwise, yeah, I don't know yet. I'm going to find out. I'm going to probably be asking my mailing list. So if you have any good ideas, anybody out there, and you want mm-hmm. me to write something, I will listen. <laughs> hmm. That's that's nice to get that fe- that immediate feedback. Yeah, definitely from your from your your readers and your people. Any any last thoughts, Jane, that you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Yeah, I think the thing there's two things that I want to say here because it, it's this is not an easy topic to deal with, and therefore it takes time, and that's fine. It's meant to take time to think about it, to be introduced to the ideas. Um, to consider all the different elements of end of life matters. That's one thing. But the other thing is to know that uh, procrastination, putting things off, thinking you haven't got enough time to do any of this, all of this is completely normal. And actually, what really matters is just taking one small action at a time. And so anybody out there who's feeling motivated by this, I would highly encourage you to take a first step in in this direction by obviously either getting a copy of my book but i'm but i'm actually thinking of something more immediate than that which is to begin a conversation with somebody close to you about an aspect of end of life whether it's yours or somebody else's that matters to you mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Just, oh, it just it sounds so important on so many levels, on the level of making it easier for your your loved ones, but also in living a life that feels free from, you know, the, the worry or the anxiety of the burden of what's going to happen. That's right. And mm-hmm. it's much, much easier to do it when you don't have to do it or when you're not under the mm-hmm. threat of a of a terminal illness or mm-hmm. uh, but it's because we don't have to do it that makes it more difficult to do. But I still really encourage people to do that because, you know, mm-hmm. a, a creating a good end of life plan is a great going away present for friends and family. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, the the whole big picture and also the practical pieces of it. I love your example of if a bird has died or the the flowers or the plants aren't doing as well to just use that as an example of, you know, everything uh, that's alive at some point dies. So then... What what shall we do? It just sounds it so sounds so natural and organic yeah. to just weave it in that way. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and and especially if it's children or grandchildren, they they they're much easier with it than we are as an, as adults. Much easier, but we have to be brave enough to broach the subject. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and um, people. I'm gonna go ahead and put this in the notes, the show notes, but. To find out more, mm-hmm. go to beforeigosolutions.com. And I love that your courses are online. People can do them all over the world. Yeah. 
And uh, it's been a real pleasure, Jane. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.